Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. Our guests on this episode are Bassie and Barbara Oboat, Fort Worth residents who immigrated from Nigeria 24 years ago. In this special Black History Month edition of our podcast, we will be talking with the Oboats about their lives in Nigeria, their conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and their adjustment to living in the United States. Professionally, Bassey works as a programmer. He designs websites and does digital marketing, along with providing some financial education. He also hosts a podcast of his own called The Navigators Podcast, in which he interviews immigrants and gives them a platform to share their inspiring stories. Barbara is a clinical nurse educator focused on professional development, and she is an adjunct professor at West Coast University. The Oboats have four children and are members of the Fort Worth North Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Bassie and Barbara, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Eric. I would love to hear about what it was like for you guys growing up in Nigeria. You know, thinking about growing up in Nigeria, this last weekend with the snowstorm reminded me much about my childhood in Nigeria. I was telling my kids that, you know, we have to go back to Nigeria. We went back to Nigeria last weekend because we went camping. Growing up in Nigeria was like camping. It was camping all day long. It wasn't just camping because you want to go on vacation. So... We go to the stream to get water. You know, you put it in a bucket, put it on your head and bring it back home. And then you use that to, you know, cook or do the dishes and drink. You will go to school just like every other kid will go to school. But before you wake up in the morning, you have to do your chores. So you have to go down to the stream, like we call it. You fetch the water and bring it home. You might do that two or three. You might do like three trips before you have enough water and then you can get ready and go to school. And then when you come back from school, you do the same thing. You go get water because the one you fetched in the morning probably is not depleted. So you, you know, refill the drum. We call it a drum. You fill water and then you get ready and go back for evening activities. So school was in the morning, we come back home eat lunch, and then go back for what we call prep. Prep was studying for the evening. It was mandatory. You had to go because you go in there and then you study, and then you're done about 6 o'clock in the evening. You come back home, and then you eat dinner, and then start all over the next day. Something to add there is that um, most, like my family, we were, my parents were subsistence farmers. So we... On top of the school, you have to do some farming activity. You have to follow your parents to the farm. You plant um, little crops that's just to sustain the family. And you do all of that And um, in addition to being in school. And most of the time, the schools that we're talking about, the school was uh, quite a distance so you have to walk um, maybe a mile or two sometimes to get to the school and back. And um, that's pretty much how it was. 
and you have to do all this and still be early for school because when the first bell rings and you're not there, it's corporal punishment and you don't want that. <laughs> not at all. So it does sound like camping though. That's a very different way of life than what we have here and now, isn't it? So true. And did you two know each other growing up? Are you from a similar area? No, we did not. We did not know each other. We actually met in college. We both uh, happened to be in the same college, University of Calabar. And uh, we were there and we got to know each other from there. And uh, as they said, the rest is history. So we are here now together. After you'd met, is that when you first were introduced to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yeah, after we met. We met, we were dating for, we dated for about two years at the time, or, yeah, before he was, he got introduced to the uh, gospel first. He brought me into the church, so I'll let him tell his story. (laughs) (laughs) We got introduced to the church together after my college, however... The seed of the gospel was planted long before that time. Uh, when I was um, 16 or 17 years old, I was just about finishing up my high school. Um, there were missionaries. Those were the early times that the missionaries came to our area. And so we saw these missionaries then. And um, because my parents were very strict, uh, my previous congregation, I used to be a member of the Church of Christ. And uh, my family is still, majority of the people in my family is still a member of that congregation. So that's where my religious upbringing came from. And so my parents were very strict. They, they would not even hear that I was going to be going to a different church. That would mean that either the tuition for secondary school would not be paid because it wasn't free second uh, secondary school um or my high my college would not be paid for so i knew about the missionaries that time and i completely forgot about them so when i was in college there was a friend of ours actually a mutual friend of ours who was a member of the church then and we always thought he was weird the way he does things <laughs> but nobody knew why he was weird in a sense it's a good way okay but um one day i talked to him i said um tell me what what it is why why are you so different and he told me about the church and and I just heard it and introduced me to the Book of Mormon. And I didn't do anything about it until after I graduated. Actually, I didn't give much thought about it. After my graduation, um, I was in a place to do what is called a national service, basically in Nigeria, because Part of the tuition that is paid by the is paid by the government. So when the, you're done with college, you are required to do one year of community service for the, your country. So you are sent from your state to a different state to serve. So it was there. I had a friend 
we were talking about things and then we went to his house. He never told me he was a member of the church. And I went to his house and I saw a book of Mormon on his, uh, on his bed. And I said, are you a member of that church? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, how did you know? I said, well, I know. Anyway, I told him all these stories. And uh, at the end, I said, well, I would like to meet the missionaries. So I was sort of what is called a golden investigator. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just told him I would like to meet the missionaries. And um, so he said, okay, on Sunday, you can, I'll talk to the missionaries at church and I will bring them to your house. And I said, why don't I come to the church with you? <laughs> mm -hmm. And how that, that's how I, I went to church the first time. And then the missionaries started uh, coming to talk to me. And how long did that process take for you that you were learning from the missionaries? It was pretty fast. It was, uh, we took uh, probably about three weeks. Those were the times that they had the flip chart. Yes. <laughs> and um, the missionaries did a great job. I am actually still in contact with one of the missionaries that taught me. The discussion went quite well because I was sort of ready. I read a lot of books. As a matter of fact, one of the books that I read was uh, A Marvelous Walk and Wonder, which was uh, just mind-blowing. But the thing that really made more impact was the testimony of Joseph Smith. There was a pamphlet that they used to hand out. And those pamphlets was, uh, I read those test, the testimony and it really affected me so much. And I was wondering, and I thought about myself. I was almost in that situation searching for truth. And now he was doing the same thing. He found the truth and now he's being persecuted for finding something different. So, so I had a, some kind of connection there anyway. The discussion ended within three weeks and I did not get baptized. And that was very frustrating for the missionaries. <laughs> and why didn't you get baptized at that point? Well, there was a lot of things. Um, I wanted to really make sure that this is what I wanted to do because it was going to mean a lot of things. It was going to mean that... Um, I would have to give up a lot of fun stuff that I was I was used to doing. I was going to do things differently. And I was in a place that I didn't have anybody, no family. And um, it wasn't that I wasn't sure, but I just wanted to make sure it was something that I wanted to do. Then the other issue that was happening at that time, we were dating. She was still in college when I left okay, because I graduated before she did. And I wanted to make sure that um, she was okay with this. And those days we didn't have telephone in our area. So I wrote a letter and uh, told her about this newfound thing. And she came over with force of making sure I did not join this cult. <laughs> um, her father... I uh, gave her this anti-church book. Okay, so, so you can, maybe she can talk about that story. <laughs> okay. So it's funny because um, when he wrote back, 
to me. Of course, like you said, we didn't have telephone or cell phones or whatever. So he wrote, you know, handwritten letter and it took months to get to me. Well, maybe not that long, but it took a little longer to get to me. So when I got it, I didn't know anything about the church. So I asked one of my uncle I was, you know, in contact with then who I thought would know much about, you know, he knew a lot of stuff. So I went to him and I go, did you know, do you know about this church? He said, oh yeah, this church, they are called and you don't want to go anywhere close to them. So here I am, got in a car, drove to where he was just to tell him to make sure he did not join this cult. And it sounds like you were not very successful in your efforts. I was not very successful, as you can see. And really, besides my uncle, when I told my dad, he was telling you earlier that my dad gave me this pamphlet. Yes, he did. He gave me this pamphlet. And first he said, we had to go to church. His church, he said, was the Church of Jesus Christ. My dad's church was the True Church of Christ. So that was the name, the True Church of Christ. So... He was like, well, the only way we can know if that church is true, because I wrote and I told him, I said, well, look at the back. And he says, if you want to know this is true, you have to read and ask God if it's true. He said, sure, let's go to church. So he took me to church to his pastor and we were going to go ask the pastor to pray and see if this book is true. So but what the pastor did was he took one look at me. He goes, you can never touch that book. You cannot even bring this book to the church. It is so bad. I can't even look at the book. <laughs> so wow. I'm like, well, if everybody's saying this book is really bad, why is Bassie trying to join this church? So, <laughs> but anyway, so the rest is history. Like they say, here I am 24 or uh, 28 years later. So what changed your mind? What changed my mind was, like you said, this testimony of Joseph Smith. And I kept looking and I kept looking. I read the Book of Mormon. I'm like, if this is not true, why are they asking us to actually pray and find out for ourselves? They didn't ask us to believe them. They said, you go pray and find out if it is true for yourself. Okay. And that's what I did. And besides that, I said I read about the church. And one more thing at that time, like Basie mentioned before, I was at a point where what they were teaching at church, at my dad's church, was not making sense. It was not adding up. You know, there were questions that I would have and I would ask, and they would say, Well, it's not known to man, and it will never be known to man. Questions like, What happened to those people that die without knowing the, the gospel? Well, they're all go to hell and we have hellfire. And I'm like, wow. So it's just heaven and hell. Yes. And so either you go to heaven or you go to hell and you burn to, you will burn for everlasting. That didn't sit well with me. I'm like, if we are talking about this God that is so merciful, why would he prosecute people for no fault of theirs that they die without hearing the gospel. Like our forefathers that die without knowing the gospel. Why would they perish? Well, nobody could answer that question until, of course, we met the missionaries. So the, to complete that part of the story, so when she came over armed with all this ammunition to make sure I did not go there, 
And I said, well, maybe you should listen to the missionaries too. Maybe if you listen, maybe it will make some sense to you. And she did. And with open mind and uh, we everything went well. And um, so it did happen that uh, part of the delay was because I wanted to make sure she was uh, on board with it. And but she was definitely on board, and um, we uh, got baptized uh, later. I think down the road, I was well, six months after my my discussion. As a matter of fact, when I was going to be baptized, people were wondering why I was going to be baptized twice because they thought I was already a member because I was participating in everything. I was going for young men. I was <laughs> doing all the institute classes. I was doing all those things and I was participating in everything. And people thought I was already a member. So people were really surprised when I was, they were announcing that they were going to have my baptism. <laughs> so did you get baptized at the same time? A week apart, yes. A week apart. And then you got married sometime after that? Yeah, we got baptized October of 1994. Four, yes. And then we got married in January of 1997. So not quite shortly after that. I had to go back to school. She had to go back to And finish school. school. And he, like he said, he was out doing his, uh, it was called a National Youth Service Corps, which is something you do um, as a payback to the government for the free education. So he completed his one year of service and then he moved to Lagos to get a job and get a house. And I went back to college to get done. And then I graduated in December of 1996 and we got married in January of 1997. And we moved to the United States in April of 1997. So it was very fast. Things just moved really fast. Started 1997 uh, with a boom, it sounds like. Yes, with a boom. (laughs) So how did that come about? What happened in your lives that led to your decision to immigrate to the United States? It was um, <laughs> really and truly, it wasn't, maybe he was always planning because Basie loves to read. So he was always reading and he was always thinking that one day he will find himself in the United States. But that wasn't my plan. It was never in my dream. Like I always tell him, you like to live in fantasy, just live in reality go get a job so we can I can graduate from school and we can get married and start a family. So, but anyway, long story short, the, the U.S. has something that is called the Diversity Visa Lottery. And that program brings about 50,000 immigrants every year from worldwide. So that's a, a visa program that the U.S. does every year. So um, with that program, all you do is just you fill in an application. So he did. He had a friend of his that came to the United States through that program. And so and that's how he told Basi. Basi filled out a form. It was on a little piece of paper. He just filled out his form, put me and his wife, and, and that was it. He gave it to him. When he got here, he mailed it. Forgot about it, never thought twice about it. He has an elder sister that lived in Germany at the time. So he used his sister's address because if he had used an address in Nigeria, of course, the mail will be lost. So the sister got this mail and it was almost three months and it was almost expiring. And so one day he was talking to Basi and he said, you know, Basi, 
I think I have a letter here for you. And Basi said, from where? She said, I don't know. One of those people you write to every time. So she's <laughs> like, and Basi was like, okay, so why don't you pick up the envelope and read what it says? And so she goes, okay, let me look for it. So she picks up the envelope and she said, oh, it's from the National Visa Center in Kentucky. And Basi was like, oh no, do not throw that envelope away. <laughs> you need to get it the next available mail or plane or however <laughs> you want to get it. You need to get that envelope to be like yesterday. So anyway, so she sent it. And now we had less than a month Less than a month. Less than a month to before prepare the expiration. before the expiration date. Okay, so what happened was they picked uh, Basi. So and since they picked Basi and I'm Basi's wife, so we had to come together. And so one of the qualification for and it's you don't pay money for it. It's free. The only qualification is you don't have to be a public charge when you get to the United States, which basically means you don't have to become dependent on the government. You have to prove that you have at least a high school diploma, diploma or yes. college degree. That's all the requirements. And so when you get here, you're able to, you know, basically fit in and find yourself in, and get settled. So you hurriedly found your way to the United States. You needed to find work and all of that when you got here? It wasn't that easy. Okay, <laughs> Not that simple. So he sent the envelope to us. And of course, it had a whole long list of requirements. One, you have to find a sponsor. Okay. Well, I didn't at the point now, I didn't know anyone in the United States. And the only person he knew was his sister's friend. This same sister that lived in Germany had a friend who lives in Houston. So we reached out to her and she was like, fine, I can sponsor you. But then she tried, she sent her papers, but she couldn't qualify to sponsor us because she's a head, she was a hairdresser and her annual income, including her kids and her household income was not enough to sponsor two extra people to the United States. One day he met Brother Rogers. He worked for Oil it was an uh, it was an export trade with the mobile um, oil producing company, mobile, so. uh, Exxon Mobil in Nigeria, and um, but previously we've been having conversations about different things, so we became friends over time, and I did not know that at, at some point in the future I might need his help at all. Um, however, the only thing that connected both of us was the gospel because that's how I met him. I met him in church and in my little nosy ways, I started talking to him and we started discussions and we started being friends. And then um, when this situation happened, I was so nervous because I had just met him probably a month prior to that time. And we've just been talking. I met him uh, after this situation that my wife explained didn't walk out. I met him on Sunday at church. I said, well, I would ask him. He would either say yes or no. <laughs> so and um, at church on Sunday after church service, I pulled him aside and asked him, I said, please, Brother Rogers, I need a favor from you. Would you like to be my sponsor? This is what we have. And Again, the blessings of the gospel, which I, I always say that uh, 
I like to enjoy the blessings of the gospel while I'm here on earth, while I'm here on earth, right? <laughs> so, um, Brother Roger said, um, "What do you want? What do you want?" And we said, and, and he said, explained to I him. I said, "I want to. Could you be my sponsor for this program?" And Brother Roger said, "Definitely, I would love to. I actually did that last year for another person, so I didn't have to explain much." <laughs> So that's how Brother Roger stepped in and basically rescued us. So he just said, what do I have to do? We said, well, you have to send. He said, okay, I'll get in touch with my accountant. And he had his accountant just send all his seven-year tax return to the embassy. And that was it. So with a sponsor in place, you were ready to come. And how did you decide where to go? Actually, a friend of my auntie, were diplomats at the time to the United States, they were in DC. And so my auntie got in touch with her friend and said, hey, are you able to you know, accommodate my niece coming through with her husband? And they said, sure, why not? So, and that's how we ended up in Washington, DC. And so how long did you stay there? About, about nine years. Nine years, yeah, about nine years. And so then after that, what brought you to the Dallas-Fort Worth area? At the time, I used to work for Verizon. I was a programmer with them. And some of those mercies that you sometimes don't really think about. And we were not really happy with the school system that our kids were zoned to. And because of that, we were actually putting them in private school at the time. So we were looking for places to go and we just wanted a change of scene after staying in DC for nine years. So one day I went to work and asked my manager, our company have office in Dallas at the time. And I said, it's okay for me to work from Dallas office. <laughs> and, uh, he said, well, let me check with my boss. It's okay. That would be fine. Then he came back the following week and said, yeah, if you want to do it. So that's how we found ourselves here. So when we moved over here, I was working for the company, I believe a, a year after that. We moved in 2006. Six. And then in December 2007, 2007 they closed, they the, whole closed the whole department in Maryland. And then eventually they closed the entire group that I was working for. So we, I got uh, a severance, a severance, package. severance package. So to either leave or find another place. And so we decided to take a severance package because it was difficult to find a place within the company. So that's how we found ourselves here. And we did research a lot. We've, we, we did like Texas because it was, at that time, it was very conservative um, and it was very good. There was a lot of uh, potentials, there, yeah. very good schools. And we found this school area. And basically what drove our move was the school district. So we moved to this area. We started off our conversation talking about what it was like growing up in Nigeria. And you talked about it being like camping. I've got to think that your experience in all these years in the United States now has been so much different from that. And you've provided your children with a very different kind of upbringing, haven't you? We have. We have, in a way. But 
We always tell them, try not to forget where we came from. And with every opportunity, we try to um, teach them a little bit of what we've lived through. So with the move here, and just like you said, we try to show them, you know, the reason we left Nigeria was for a better life for ourselves and, of course, for them. So, of course, yes, we've given them, you know, far more than we would have ever expected in our lives. And so we are grateful for that. And we really, you know, we don't hesitate to let them know it's a privilege. Whatever they're enjoying right now is a privilege. It's a gift from their Heavenly Father for them. So to appreciate everything that they get. And we should mention you've got four children ranging in age from 22 down to 12. Mm-hmm. And so this is all they know growing up here. They, they don't have that Nigerian experience. This is all they know. The, close, the closest I've been to going to Nigeria was last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something as we do. Um, we, we are part of like cultural organizations here that try to do some nonprofit job work back in Nigeria. So before COVID, every year we will attend cultural events where they meet people from that part of the world and uh, enjoy the culture. So we try to insert a little bit of culture at every opportunity. We make our cultural dresses for them, clothing, and we talk about different things and basically try to help them to understand because we believe that understanding that root where they came from is very, very important for them in a place where there's more Thai culture and diversity that is here. It's important to understand that um, background. And I would think that if you're not very intentional about that, it would be easy to forget and to lose that root that you described and to really take for granted what they do have here. That's correct. That's correct. We talked earlier about the blessing that the gospel has been in your life, even in making the connection to immigrate here through the sponsor that you'd met at church and the blessings that were there as a result. In the years that you've been here, how has the gospel blessed your life as immigrants to this country? I really believe in the blessings of the gospel because if you think about it, we left Nigeria and we came here, we had absolutely no friends at all. And instantly, the very first week that we went to church, we had community of friends friends Mm -hmm. that we could literally call on if we needed help. And we've met all kind of connections. It's, this is part of the things that um, sometimes it's, it's difficult for immigrants because all of your life you've lived in a different place. All the connections you made from high school, from college, then none of that connection is there. And right now, a lot of those connections, these are the people who are the governors, presidents, and senators, and whatever in that community, right? And we don't have any of that connection. That connection has been lost. For new immigrants, it's really hard to create those connections sometimes. 
So the church really was a big blessing because we were able to create some sort of connections and friendship and network of people that we could rely upon until we started finding out that we have people from our part of the world living maybe 10 miles away or 50,000 miles away. But the church was the, the safety net that we had. It was so, a support system. It was a great one. That we, we had to call upon. And it made the transition easier. We got here on Thursday and we were at church on a Sunday. And the beauty of the church is you show up at church, it's the same hymn book, it's the same <laughs> gospel, it's the same prayer. The people look different, but the whole thing is still the same. Right. So it was it was that comfort. Like, okay, this is it's a piece of what I know bringing with me. So it didn't make it that hard. And I know every Sunday you go to church, we had instantly have visiting teachers. So you have somebody you could call and talk. now the language was different. We spoke different languages. Even my English was different then. I had to learn, you know, you know, when somebody's speaking to me, how to listen so and how to speak so they will understand what I'm saying. So that was an anxiety on itself when I'm going out, like, um, are they going to understand what I'm saying? If I go out to look for a job, you know, how am I going to speak to these people? But then you had that little safety net where, you know, you had these people, you had this kind of a whole new family that I kind of trust that had my back. When people come here, we don't know about things like credit report. We don't know about like credit history and none of that. All of those things are very foreign to us. So, so we were trying to get an apartment and we could not. We had funds to get the apartment, but they were telling us we don't have rental history. We don't have credit history, none of that. And we're like, okay. So again, we spoke with the bishop and said, this is where we are. This is our credit comment. And we were really blessed that the bishop decided to co-sign our Again, lease for us. Not knowing us from Adam. We didn't know him, beside, but the, the gospel really brought us together and it was a family. It's always been a family. And even when we moved to Texas, we didn't know many people here. Nobody. Nobody. We moved here just like we did before. and But we came here instantly. We had so many friends who came to support us. We moved here. Got, we just got a U-Haul, moved our things, drove here. We got to the house where we were renting, and there were almost 50 Elders Forum men waiting to offload the truck. <laughs> it brought tears to my eyes because I'm like, here am I moving all the way, 24 hours away from Maryland to Texas. No, nobody here, and instantly you have a crew of people ready to offload the truck and everything was done within three hours the truck was offloaded they relieved that he bought a cooler full of food and everything and it's like it's like you went home to your family what a tremendous blessing i really appreciate you sharing that and i know that a lot of people have had similar experiences whether they're immigrating from another country or moving across the country that instant sense of friendship and kinship even and the help that's there is a great blessing what advice would you give to other immigrants who are still working to get established in their new country? Enlighten and broaden your horizon. You know, get out of your comfort zone. 
and network with people outside of your community. Because what happens again is when you migrate here, you stay with somebody you know who is happens to be somebody from your Nigeria, and then you end up having that little community of people, but you don't go out of that to network outside to see how you can educate yourself about this new farm place that you come. What can I do to better my life? What can I do to improve my life? And how can I move ahead? So it's it's good to get out and network and get out and and kind of surround yourself with people who know more than you do. Because when you're staying in your little community, after a while you can you get you get content with who you are because that's all you see. That's everybody you see around you looks like you, behaves like you, acts like you, and so all of a sudden you feel okay. I'm fine. I'm done growing. I think I have enough. But when you go out and push <clears throat> that boundaries and get out and mix with people who my kids will say are cultured <laughs> in this new found environment, then you understand, you know, you begin to see your limitations and see where you can educate yourself. I always say, or there's a proverb that said, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So if you surround yourself with everybody that looks like you and act like you, then and usually you stunt your growth. But when you go out and mix with people who know more, and then you can you can see where your limitations are, and you can see how you can increase your talent, and see how how you can learn and what you know. And like President Hinckley used to say, bring the good you have, bring everything you know from your home country. See what the United States can add to make you a better person. To add to that, uh, one other thing that I think it's important for immigrants is to try to understand that this place that you live is now your home. When you view it as your home, your perspective and your thinking would change. But if you just see it as a place that I'm here just to live and later on may not live here, it uh, it's a different kind of mindset. So you have to be able to be a part of the community, go out and volunteer, be a part of something good. There are a lot of good people in, in the world, there are a lot of good people in the country, in this United States. I have met so many good people. Of course, there are a lot of bad people too, but we cannot let the bad things cloud the good things that happens around us every day. We see that around us all the time. And people are good. They are very good. We have to trust that. And we cannot use what we hear in the news or because there is a bias everywhere. If you bias yourself to listening to negative things, you will most likely find those negative things. If you bias yourself to learning about positive things, you will lean towards that. So it's important to think about it that way. Know that this place is now your home and be a part of it a good citizen of this place and do what you can to preserve it. That is great advice. I have really enjoyed our visit on this episode. You bring a fascinating story coming from a camping-like environment and all these years later, raising a family in North Texas and enjoying so many blessings professionally and within the gospel. Really a great example for us. So thank you so much for being guests on our podcast. Thank you thank very you much for, for having the us. Opportunity. Our guests on this Black History Month episode have been Bassie and Barbara Obote, 
It is inspiring to see how from their humble beginnings in small villages in Nigeria to their lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex today, the O-Boats have felt the hand of the Lord guiding them, providing them with opportunities and blessing them in many ways. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.